New ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Dr. Jim Lair. Jim, co-author of Wise Decisions, is a world-renowned performance psychologist, co-founder of the Human Performance Institute, and author of 18 books, including The Only Way to Win. Today, we'll be discussing wise decisions and some of the things that listeners can do to improve the quality of their decision-making. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you, Gabriella. I am very excited to be with you. In the introduction to your book, you discuss decision fatigue. What does that mean and why does it happen? You know, when you think about how many decisions we make in just the space of a half hour, and sometimes when there's a lot happening, we are making, you know, 10 to 15 decisions every 10 minutes. And what happens is, you know, our brains just get tired of, you know, we just wish we didn't have to make another choice. A lot of decisions are made almost automatically. But when you really take this ability for reflective consciousness and start thinking about how many decisions you've made in just the last 10 minutes, you're often very, very surprised. And then you realize that, wait a minute, you know, there is an energy cost for every decision we make. Some are really massive. Others are pretty quick, but there is a cost. And so energy fatigue is one of the reasons people make bad choices. They get tired, they get sloppy, they get a little lazy with the decision, and they end up making decisions when they look back on it and they wonder, how the heck did I make that choice? And the reason was they were simply suffering from decision fatigue. One of the things that's interesting about that, the business of being conscious, the business of how many decisions we're making so quickly, people often think about choices as being big things. But one of the first examples you give is a cascade of poor decisions. And it starts with an extra glass of wine. And in less than 24 hours, it ends with a lost career opportunity. (laughs) And so given the decision fatigue (laughs) and choice overload, does this mean that I really have to sweat the small stuff and the big stuff? It, it, it was amazing. It was a, such an interesting cascade of decisions, but it's a bit scary then. You know, how do we I, don't how do really I know reckon, which one's going to be the thing that's going to help? We just, we just don't really understand. The reason we wrote the book is that there's very little attention in schools. Parents don't know how to teach decision-making. And yet when you look at the trajectory of your life, the, the way in which you are living your life and where you end up is largely the result of decisions that you've made, either consciously or unconsciously. It's probably the most important thing we do as human beings. And we tend to think that the little decisions are not that important. But when we did the research on this, we learned that sometimes the little decisions actually have the greatest leverage over what happens when you make the big decisions. And so well, that because example, they, they're almost like that compounding interest. They create the landscape where exactly. you have, have those big decisions. And one of the things that that poor decision cascade also showed was how integrated physical, emotional, and rational all are. And it reminded me of something my mother once said, which was to never make big decisions when I was sick, angry, or sad. So was she onto something? Your mother was 100% right. The research is clear. 
that uh, we never want to make a decision when we're in either an emotional hot place, either really excited or really down and out, depressed, sad, when we're physically ill, if we can avoid it, when we are kind of emotionally out of sync, we just don't feel like ourselves, our intuition isn't good. We just, we're kind of in an emotional funk. Mm. And then maybe when we're really questioning what life is all about and we don't have the existential angst, don't make decisions. then. (laughs) (laughs) You're swimming in the existential. What's interesting is you, you also added excited. She had sort of the negatives. You're sick, you're angry, you're upset, but you also add excited. So if you're elated, you are equally likely to make a dodgy decision. Yeah, our emotions, our emotions are part of every thought we have, and they're part of every decision-making process that we enter into. And emotions can completely color our ability to be logical. They can hijack those emotions of elation or depression can completely hijack our ability to really make the right choice. So you can you go into a dealership and you see a car that you absolutely <laughs> go crazy over. You're going, I love that car. And you're on a high and the dealer comes up or the salesperson comes up and says, you know, this is the car for you. I'm telling you, you you belong in this car. And you are so overwhelmed by you driving this car. And you really don't think about, you know, how are you going to pay for this? It's way out of your price range. It's not the color that's going to withstand the test of time for you. You go ahead and you buy that car. You go home and in just a short period of time, you have this terrible remorse. How Mm. did I buy this car? I can't. I can't make the payments on this car. Right. And there's an example of you got so excited about something, you made a catastrophe, a choice, a catastrophic choice that actually was the result of positive emotion. Interesting. That's so interesting. You also add something into the mix that I have not seen often talked about when people are thinking about the whole person and that's spirituality. Today, fewer people than ever are participating in organized religion. Does that mean that they'll have trouble with decisions or is spirituality something different? Spirituality, as it appears in the book, and I've written a lot about this and there's a lot of science around this, and that is it really refers to your deepest values, your strongest beliefs, And it also refers to your character, how you treat others. And there is a hierarchy of values that you have about who you most want to be in life. How do you want to be remembered in life? How What's the the legacy you'd like to leave behind? And all of these really are lenses through which an important decision should be vetted. If you leave that out, which is maybe the most important part of who we are, Hmm. that is the values that we have about who we want to be and how we want to treat others, our character, integrity, honesty, humility, really a sense of compassion for others, commitment to helping others be better human beings as well. There's just this sense that we are social creatures and how we interact with others is an important part of any really major trajectory that we put ourselves on in a decision that we might make. Right. So the bigger, larger, this the spirituality in this case is, are these big, who you are, what are your values? Can you give an example of how, it's really operationalize it for me, how spirituality might show up in the life of an agnostic marketing professional? So let's say that you're about to make a decision as to whether or not you should put a big loan on your home to send your son or daughter to college. Mm-hmm. 
And when you look at it, it's really going to put a damper on the way you live your life with your spouse, because you're going to have to make payments on that. And then you look at your values and, and what you care most about in life. And maybe one of those is you'd like to give a chance for your children to have the best life possible and to actually give them a chance to, to really uh, enter into an educational institution that might really add a whole new dimension to who they are as a human being and to their work later on in life. And so when you look at yourself and, and your spouse, look it over, yeah, it's maybe not the best thing for the two of you. But when you look at what matters most to you, your children, you're going to make that sacrifice. And as you might put qualifiers on it, that you got to get these certain grades, you got to be able to do this and that to qualify for it. But we're willing to sacrifice maybe some of our happiness a little bit, being able to make trips and things in, in the service of helping you maybe get a degree and to change the trajectory of where you might end up in your lives. Mm -hmm. There's where your values actually intersect in a way to help you make the right decision. Right. Okay. Well, you know, then the framework you develop is fun. It's called Yoda, which reminds everyone of the guru from Star Wars. And fun fact, when I worked with Frank Oz, he told me that when he played Yoda, he was the only actor who had the entire script before shooting started. In your book, Yoda stands for your own decision advisor. And what you're suggesting is that you develop your own inner coach. Can you describe what that is and how it functions? So we began to do all kinds of work neurologically and where where the decisions are made in the brain. There's this area called the, the human insula, which seems to be a central processing station for making decisions. And it has connections to almost all areas, all the subcortical areas of the brain, the emotional areas, the, the amygdala and so forth. That also has all the sensory, the five sensory portals. It reports into the cortex and neocortex of the brain, our logical, rational selves. And somehow that is processed. But there is this thing that we we are making that decision on our own. So we began to put some you know, language to it. There's a coach inside of you that's mm -hmm. coaching you as to what you should choose and what you should not choose. What kind of decision should you make here? And the more we looked at it, there is inside all of us this decision advisor. We all possess a Yoda, but sometimes that Yoda is not well-informed and is kind of off the rails. The book is about how do we upload the right information so that Yoda has great wisdom. And the more wisdom it has, the learning process, even in the earliest years, that private voice, even in utero, the auditory cortex of a young developing fetus is actually sensitive enough to pick up signals from the mother and father's voice. And eventually, by the age of five, there is this primitive narrative that starts to form that, in a sense becomes an inner coach. And the most important voice you'll ever have until your death is really the, the, the voice that no one hears but you. And that is the real arbitrator of the stories you tell, the decisions you make, how you carve up reality, the meaning you make of your life. And the better equipped that voice is, the better chance it has of actually creating the kind of life you want. So a lot of this is about you coaching you or I coaching myself in the I form, I shouldn't be doing that, I should make this choice, or you shouldn't be doing this, you need to be doing that. And the more we get comfortable with this idea of self-coaching, 
of a language that actually takes us to the heart of what great decision making is. You assess what's your what's your instincts on this? What is your intuitive brain saying? What is your logical brain saying here? What is your what are your emotions and what is your your deepest values and beliefs? And the more you kind of check in and let that brain do this processing based on the input that you have given Yoda, you're very likely to make good decisions. And eventually, a lot of those decisions can be habituated, made very automatic because they're the right decision. I get to bed at a certain time. I eat certain healthy foods. I'm always respectful when I meet people, even though they're not respectful for me. Those are automatic decisions because that's who you are. And then you have all this energy left over for making spontaneous decisions in the moment that, you know, your Yoda is right there, like it's on your shoulder, waiting to help you make the right decision at the right time. In the the book, you separate I talk and you talk out. Well, what we learned from the data, and we've collected so much data I have over so many years, is sometimes I, the I first person, actually works best. What we learned was that one of the most powerful ways to train Yoda, to train that inner voice, what we call inner voice one, which is untrained, kind of sporadic. You don't even know where it came from, but it's a lot of the coaching is dysfunctional. It's ripping on you all the time. It's angry, frustrated. And it's not a great coach. You would be embarrassed if it was ever made public. You look around and go, I don't want anybody to know that this is how I'm coaching myself in this situation. And so we, we sometimes really are not even aware of the brutality of our inner voice. And that voice is really the accumulation of all the inputs from all the people, most importantly, authority figures. And somehow this voice got formed and it wasn't intentional. And that's what we call inner voice one. Inner voice two is the intentional voice you're going to be proud of to project onto a jumbotron because it's the best advice you could possibly give anyone. And in fact, the way you coach yourself with your private voice is the way you would coach someone you deeply cared about in the same situation. And so that coaching voice is the master controller of almost everything. And most people have no awareness of how important it is, and they have no awareness of how that voice ever ever got formed. Well, it doesn't matter. We've learned the best way to retrain that voice is through printing or cursive writing. Your hand is probably the quickest way to actually get that voice aligned with your deepest values and who you most want to be in life, aligned with the coaching advice that you'd be most proud if it were made public. So we really encourage journaling and you just journal how you wanna coach yourself in the situations, how do you wanna speak to yourself in situations that might come up today or that have come up in the past and you've not done a good job. And so you're actually recreating a whole new neurological pathway for your brain to access into this processing center So that Yoda actually has a chance of actually giving you the best possible advice. I also wanted to dive into the handwritten piece. Now, a lot of young people don't write. They use their phones. They use, maybe do a computer. Yeah, they do computers. So is that, I mean, I guess, is it the act of actually writing by longhand versus typing? Is it simply 
putting words into format out of your brain or is it the actual physical act of writing? The movement of your hand, the actual movement of your hand seems to have a more direct connection to this executive function in your brain. That's interesting. And it doesn't have the same stickiness as just flying on a computer board. When you write with your hand or print, there is a neurological trace that seems to be more durable. And so we, we've learned with a lot of data collection that this is, we had almost 30 years of work at the Human Performance Institute, and we found by far this was the best way to do it. You suggest that it's part of this conscious decision-making, you create a vetting process for decisions. What does that look like? So when we make a decision, certainly an important, let's say you're trying to decide if you're going to get a divorce or you're going to decide to leave the job that you now have and move to another city or trying to decide how you should deal with the fact that your son or daughter now is getting some really terrible grades and you could fly off the handle and just be angry and furious and just let it happen. Or you can think about it, which is what the book is about. Be far more intentional and pause between the stimulus and response. This is what makes us a unique species. We just don't respond automatically unless we've really designed our decision-making process in that area, like getting up at a certain time, going to bed at a certain time, eating certain foods. But when there are really critical decisions, and sometimes you can't even make them in an hour or even in a day, maybe it's a week, maybe it's two weeks, maybe a month before you've actually vetted it properly. And vetting it through various lenses might be extremely important. So one of the lenses is you know, there is a part of us that we're most proud of. We'll call it your the best version of yourself, your best self. And that's a very special place. You go there, you are that person some of the time. Go there, if at all possible, and think about the decision through that lens. And then really think about, well, what is your, what is the purpose of your life? Why are you here? What, what mission must you complete to truly be successful? In, in the time you're here on planet Earth. It and sounds like that better. draws very much on that spiritual piece that we were talking about The spiritual about piece, exactly. Okay. And, and so, that's, so you put it in the hopper and think about it. And the tombstone, what do you want on your tombstone? There's a whole series of these, your personal credo. We have you think about those, put those down. And some of those will be your, your tr- the preferences you have for vetting the most important decisions you make. And they may not all fit exactly, but those that really draw on what is really the most important part of you, your values, who you want to most be, particularly in stressful times, you really have to give your Yoda a chance to really look carefully at those things that have the highest priority in making the decision. And chances are you're going to make the right decision. And don't make it until you're ready. Don't make it when you are in a very bad spot emotionally or you're not feeling well. And after you've made the big decision, wait 24 hours and revisit it again, go through the same calculations and see if you end up with the same choice. One of the things I thought was great about how you address stress was that it's not all bad. People always think of stress as being bad, but you need stress. Stress Stress is that thing that builds the the muscle. Hormones of stress are the hormones of life. I take stress out of your life and surround you with marshmallows and pillows. I will tell you, the only thing you'll be able to tolerate in life are marshmallows and pills, and they will eventually become not sweet enough and not soft enough. I wonder 
just go with me here. If you think about it, we talk about helicopter parenting and, and this is sort of removing barriers. Parents just desperately want to help their kid, but they're not, it sounds like, because the kids need that resilience. They need the stress. They need a little it, stress. hundred percent. And that is equipping the, the Yoda of parents and the Yoda of the kids to understand that stress oh. is just the way our lives are. Right. And the more you understand this, the better decisions you can make for your for your children as parents and the better decisions they will make, avoiding stress only temporarily and back into the storm. That's how we become strong and resilient human beings. Right, because you do need the break. You can't you can't just have people you all have the time have, go, go, go. Right. Right. The enemy is chronic exposure. Chronic stress, that's stress unabated by these pauses in recovery, the mm. power of the pause. But um, stress, well, that's, you think about stress, we have nothing. Well, right. You think about Elon Musk and his, you know, we're going to be hardcore. And you think, well, you can't sustain hardcore. Exactly. One of the great things about the book is it, it links our biology to our decision-making behavior. And there are some things in there that I'd like to unpack. First, truth. People often think they're being rational because they're basing their decisions in truth, but you point out that truth might not be true. <laughs> so can you unpack some truth traps? <laughs> so, you know, it's such an interesting, the more you get into the way in which our brains operate, this magnificent neural processor between our ears, we don't have direct contact with the real world. We just don't. We, we like to think we do, but we don't. What we have is our sensory portals, all the sensory modalities that we have are streaming data into this big brain that you have. And right now you're getting a lot of auditory data and your brain is crunching that data and it's trying to make sense out of the incoming data. And then there's some preferences that the brain has to have for making a decision as to whether I should purge this or whether I should let it come into the central processing station or whether I need to modify it and morph it so it fits. And the most important thing is, if it doesn't fit what's already in there, it probably is not going to be, it's not going to get through the gates. It's probably going to um. be altered significantly, or it's just going to be rejected as pure nonsense. So but like confirmation is, bias, is that what we're... Well, that's one of them, but there it is very possible that what you've got loaded in as your truth is a very long distance from, from reality. There's no guarantee that what your beliefs are, what you think is true, is actually true. What we've learned without any question that this big brain of homo sapiens is a fiction-making machine, and it's duping us all the time into believing this is like when you want to buy this car, it's going to figure out how to a way to get you to believe at some point all the things that are maybe that our negatives are not going to be even considered and all the things that are positive are going to be are going to be underlined and then all of a sudden you realize the only choice you have is the one you wanted in the first place which was a terrible decision well and i want to can i can i stop you right there because that's one of the things that years years ago i had read some research around emotion and decision making and that if you damage this the part of the brain that dealt with emotion that you would have people who had great trouble 
making decisions and that people often made a decision emotionally and then backed into it. They made the rationality fit their emotion. But the whole premise of this book is that you're you're forcing rationality into it. So well, you raise you raise a really good point, but you have to be very careful. So okay. what the book is about is there are a number of assets that you need to consider. If when a brain is damaged and the uh, the whole subcortical region is somehow the amygdala or your ability to summon appropriate emotion is damaged, mm. you make terrible you can make terrible decisions just on logic. Uh -huh. Logic alone does not take you where you need to go with good decision making. So what we need to do is we need to understand what is the real world telling us. What are the facts here? We need to get our rational brains engaged and try not to be duped by a lot of other things that may interfere with our ability to grasp the truth. And then we need to check at our emotional brain, at this uh, sometimes referred to as, as a second brain. We need to really take inventory and understand what is my, what is my emo what are the emotions telling me about this? I'm feeling conflicted. I have a knot in my stomach. What, what, what is my intuition telling me about this? And then what, is, what are my values saying about all of this? And you look, we're an integrated system. Great okay. choices require all of these to be considered in wise decision-making. So you don't want to just be logical and you don't want to be purely emotional and you don't want to just trust your gut and you don't want to just blatantly go on some really higher order value by itself and not consider anything else. So it's really important that we understand who we are and we're highly complex and we need to understand that every decision has multiple inputs that must be considered. Now, one of the things, you know, frequently it's, you know, creating this space to, to reflect it, give it 24 hours, come back to it. We're living in this place and time where everything is accelerated. Now, 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 you know, do, 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 technology, fast, fast, fast. Is Should you still, you need to slow down as people in order to make good decisions, don't fall into the speed trap? Would you say? Well, you are 100% correct. The speed of life is accelerated in levels that in five years that we, we don't even know what's happening. It's like it's we're driving in a car that is so quiet, we don't realize how fast we're really going. But our mm. the speed of life is, uh, is a major issue when we're trying to allow our brains to make really wise and time-tested decisions. So we have to slow down. We have to become very, that's what intentional means, mm. that you pause between this, whatever the situation is, the stimulus, you take a moment and maybe take a, a lot longer than you would like before making the decision because a single decision can change the trajectory of our lives for years and maybe for the entirety of our life. There's so much resting on this. And we really want to know what are the decisions we want to, make automatic so we don't have to spend any energy on those and we get those wired up and then we want to reserve time and energy for the ones that we know could have a really powerful impact on how we end up at the end of our lives just as a as a junior in high school or senior in high school the the whole group around them is saying you know here's some drugs yeah they're illegal but you know we're all taking it you should take it that one decision to try it may alter the course of your life for, for a long, long time. So parents need to understand 
the this is a sacred space and if they teach their kids anything about anything it's how and where and when to take a moment and be reflective and understand the importance of this special capacity we have as a as a human being to direct our lives in ways that really will help us to have the life we want and it is all about choices well, and that's fa- I mean that that's a great place to to wrap on, which is take the time that it will pay off in spades if you take the time. It's okay to push back if you need time because you'll make a better decision and downstream it will be better for you to have made that right decision, giving it the right time, vetting it, thinking about it in in, in an integrated way. That's exactly the conclusion that is really what the book is all about and gives you a lot of a lot of ways to really uh, equip Yoda with, uh, to help coach with whatever there. is necessary to make that happen. And, and it is a process. It's a learning process that begins in the earliest years in infancy all the way through later adulthood. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. And thank you for having me, Gabriella. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.